Hello and welcome to Hear Her Voice. I'm Laura Whitmore and in this podcast, I'm celebrating the incredible range of artistry and talent of women in music. Across the series, I'm chatting to some very special guests as we enjoy the songs, albums and lyrics from some of the most iconic women in music throughout the decades. Today, my theme is music as a voice for change, and we're celebrating songs and artists that champion the freedom of expression, speaking up and speaking out. Nina Simone sang, my life has been rough. I'm awfully bitter these days because my parents were slaves. And in the civil rights era of the 50s and 60s, artists like Billie Holiday, Marian Anderson and Joan Baez led the way using their voices not only to tantalise listeners, but to push for more equality during times when segregation was rampant throughout the US. Since then, women from across the musical genres have taken up the battle cry, including Patti Smith, Tori Amos, Nina Diaz, Nina Cherry, Mary J. Blige, Jean Grey, Pussy Riot, MIA and many more. In this episode, I talk to the incredible musician, singer and songwriter Yola, who is playing the role of Sister Rosetta Tharp, the godmother of rock and roll in Baz Luhrmann's biopic of Elvis Presley. Because you're a black lady, you're inevitably going to talk about something like sex positivity from your framework, from your life because it's not represented. It's just because of who you are. The second you start talking about yourself, it becomes political. But first, let's hear from the fabulous Jams Supernova. Jams is a DJ, a radio presenter, hosting shows on BBC Radio 1 Extra, Selector Radio, Radio 1 and 6 Music. She first cut her teeth on the community London radio station Represent before moving to the BBC at the tender age of 19. Jams lives and breeds music and she's fully aware of the power of music as a voice for change. Days after the murder of George Floyd in May 2020, she played a three-hour-long show choosing music that reflected the sorrow and the solidarity of the moment. I spoke to Jams about the power, passion and message music can carry and all this on the day before her baby was due. Respect. Remember, you can hear all of today's featured tracks and more on our Hear Her Voice activism playlist, which you can find on Spotify. Jams, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. To, I, I think this is such a great um, topic to talk about, but um so excited to be part of the podcast. But yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Well, we're talking today about, about women who use their music as a voice for change. But before we even delve into that, I want to talk about you and music and how you kind of got into it. Because music is around all of us growing up, but, mm. you know, to actually go into it as a career because I, I do you start DJing when you were 10 or something that's what I heard <laughs> no I uh, you know when you have something on your bio I'm sure you have something <laughs> in there or you told someone something like once and then Chinese whispers it's like yeah <laughs> I literally was at a sort of people's festival it's called people's day in southeast London in yeah. Lisham it used to happen once a year and they had some decks there and I went on there once and then I was like this is pretty cool but that was it yeah but no, I didn't start learning how to DJ uh, sort of on and off from 18 onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it was when I was like 23 that I kind of knuckled down and, and wanted to learn. And in just music in general, I think I come from a very music loving family. That's how we communicate with each other. That's how we spend time with each other. And my mom would mm-hmm. often take the time to to play me records from her youth records that she found were powerful. So we listened to a lot of like Diana Ross and things like Whitney Houston, as in terms of like, you know, big, powerful voices and mm. women that she sort of saw herself in. She grew up in an area called Tamworth and she was the only sort of one of the only black families there. So she used music a lot for identity. I do have this mm-hmm. really powerful memory of my mom showing me something when I got to about 15. We had the cassette in the car and it was a Tracy Chapman and it was a song behind the wall. Mm-hmm. And she played it to me and she said, Shh, you need to listen, listen, listen to these lyrics. It's a song about domestic violence um, and it's a very powerful, haunting song that makes you think about the safety of women. And, and then she kind of went on to talk about why it was such a powerful record, why it was so important. And I think that sort of always, always stayed with me. Mm. So I knew from like an early age, okay, I can't sing, but I want to do something within music. Who were you listening to when you were younger? Who were the, those, uh, you know, female artists that, you know, you said you, you weren't into the singing thing necessarily, but even to DJ and the produce side of things. Who, who were your inspiration? I mean, I, I got into Lauren Hill. I think that was um, a quite a big turning point. I mean, it took me a while to get into Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. I remember someone giving me the CD around 15 and I was just kind of like, oh, no, I don't want 
listen to this, which I feel is quite blasphemous now. But I think <laughs> it was about when I was like 17, 18 that I came back around to her and the album, obviously, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill felt like this blueprint into womanhood mm. and what it meant for, you know, the respect of yourself, the the love for others in regards to relationships. So I thought that was a really special album at that time. My mum played, I remember having have like a kind of memory of my mum playing sort of a lot of a lot of women, sort of a lot of the big sort of heavy hitters, like mm. from your Whitney Houston's, your mm. Reefa Franklin's. And mm-hmm. we'd play them on vinyl and, and oh, dance yeah. together. And then there was Jasmine Sullivan, sort of another soul singer mm. that I got into quite of like in my teenage years. And a lot of her sort of music was, again, around that sort of like self-respect, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that kind of overcoming fear, being being comfortable in your skin. And when you were in your late teens and you started learning how to DJ and the skill set that that's involved as well, was that very much, you know, the mindset of like, this is going to be a career for me, I want to do this? Or was that still, I know you went to the Brit school, so you're obviously very immersed into it from, from a young age. But did you think this is the kind of path I want to go down and how important was it to learn it as a skill? It was definitely like a conscious thing of a path. I didn't know where it would lead, but I knew it was something that I wanted to learn as a skill, something I wanted to be good at Mm -hmm. and eventually something that I wanted to do all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that because there wasn't that many women visibly that were DJing at the time, like I couldn't I couldn't tell you any women that I saw DJing growing up. I've been raving since I was 14. I didn't see any women Mm -hmm. on the scenes that I was going out in. But I, I I think because there wasn't that many women that I was seeing. It's hard to see yourself in that space. It was only when I got to Radio 1, started working there behind the scenes at 19, that I met Annie Mack. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, cool. Wow. She does a lot. She does. She's really out here, you know. And I think that she sort of became probably without even knowing <laughs> a mentor from afar. I don't always think mentors have to be like, you know, constantly meeting up with you and whispering in your ear and telling you things. I think people by just doing what they do can be a mentor. And I think watching her was mm. like, wow, OK, that's power. You know, that's bums on seats. That's people really going to see her, seeing her play at Glastonbury. You know, so so many examples of watching Annie Matt do what she does just from being in the same yeah. vicinity as her has inspired me. And I think with each new generation uh, of women who come through and yourself included, it makes it not easier, but just better, I guess, for the next generation coming through. So much more bold. Exactly. Yeah. The the generation after me, they they couldn't care less. I mean, there's this, (laughs) they do not care. There's this crew. There was this crew of amazing women that came through after me. And they literally came through saying, we're taking your jobs men like we do not care you know know, they were like we're going to outskill you we're going to be more energetic than you and we're coming for your heads basically we're talking about music being a voice for change and the first featured artist from our hear her voice spotify playlist is nina simone Uh, her song i wish i knew how it would feel to be free from 1967 jams now i know that nina simone is one of your favorite female artists why does this track speak to you yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's it's from a time that I definitely felt more prominent with what had happened over the last sort of 12, you know, 12 to 18 months with the Black Lives Matter. And I think digging into the sounds of the 60s and, and protest music and the sounds of um, Nina Simone and knowing her story and her journey as a black woman in music, I found saddening and inspiring sort of all Mm -hmm. at the same time. And she really knows how to make a record that gets under your skin and forces you to to really confront what's in front of you. So I think, yeah, I I will always sort of refer back to many different Nina Simone records, not just this one, but many different records sort of when I kind of want to even make a stand myself or use music in a political sense sort of whether it's selecting records or for radio shows I think she's mm-hmm. she's she's a definite go-to and then she's got some more like you know fun records like I recently came across because the back catalogue is so huge I love and I love that you said like I recently came across the back catalogue because even artists who have come before us and who are no longer with us you can still you can still discover them oh, which God. is lovely isn't yeah. it even after the long gone there are generations who are discovering Nina Simone for the first time you discovering you know a back catalogue that you didn't know was there yeah 100% and that's I mean that's it that's what exciting and then doing the research to find out where in that time it, it, it came about mm. but that funkier than the mosquitoes tweeter like that's a great record like I want to mm. make an edit of that to DJ with it's great but yeah this is a really a really sort of powerful song and I feel like it kind of sums up what was happening around the civil rights movement and I think reflecting 
that back to the sort of aftermath of George Floyd's murder and the feelings that a lot of black people were having. I think the 60s resonated with us. Yes, the 60s were particularly significant for powerful messages delivered through music from black artists. But Nina really does stand out as a pivotal activist whose voice is still used for change today. Our in-house expert, Laura Snapes, is here with more on the legend that is Nina Simone. Thanks, Laura. So when we think of how Nina Simone became an activist, there are some clear stories that come to mind for me. Back when she was a young classical piano prodigy known as Eunice Kathleen Wayman in North Carolina, she was radicalised when her parents were asked to give up their front row seats at her town hall show in the segregated South for a white family. Eunice stood up in her starch dress and said that if anyone expected to hear her play, then they had better make sure her family was sitting right there in the front row where she could see them, and very soon they were. We might also think about Nina Simone, the musician, young wife and mother, who found her political awakening through her friendship with the playwright Lorraine Hansbury. This was her entry point into a world of radical black thinkers like James Baldwin, Stokely Carmichael and Langston Hughes. I love how she talks about her friendship with Lorraine Hansberry. We never talked about men or clothes, she said. It was always Marx, Lenin and revolution. Real girls talk. This politicised Nina would write songs like Mississippi Goddamn, Backlash Blues, Four Women and Young Gifted and Black. Songs that expose the reality of racist violence and stereotypes with rage and passion and beauty. So this is what most people would define as activism, these really specific moments of transformation that prompted Nina to act and to cultivate her distinctly black nationalist politics. But Nina Simone's revolutionary spirit was also inseparable from the music that she made, right down to its very notes. Many of her listeners might not actually know her history, but they do inherently know it through her music. Nina Simone is often referred to as a jazz artist, a slightly minimising description that she hated. She was actually a classically trained pianist who loved Bach and continued to weave his influence throughout her music long into her career. By doing this, Nina boldly staked her claim to classical music, which is hardly an inclusive space for black women today, let alone 60 years ago. Her sound was eclectic and masterful, and her virtuoso presence resonated with black listeners who recognised, as the brilliant critic Emily Lordy wrote, the pressure to be twice as good as their white counterparts. In an article published in 1970, the iconic poet and author Maya Angelou wrote of Nina, She is loved or feared, adored or disliked, but few who have met her music or glimpsed her soul react with moderation. It's just as true today. More than 50 years on, Nina Simone's music and legacy retain their provocative power because we are still nowhere near the vision of freedom that she laid out in her music. To this day, she gives us something to aspire to. Jams, I know you use music a lot on, on your show, especially around the time of the murder of George Floyd. And and how important is it to be able to, I guess, have that space and use music that, that speaks to pain, that speaks to protest, that speaks to activism? Yeah, I mean, that was the that was the most, I guess, the most uh, emotionally strenuous part mm. of it was was picking the music. And I wanted to actually make sure that the music that I picked was equal in the representation of men and women that was really important for me for me to do that there was no sort of time limits on when the music had come out so I was dipping in right from the you know 60s all the way through to songs that have come out recently yeah but I think for me it was all about the lyrics and what people were trying to convey and the emotions and some of the tracks that I Mm. I picked like I started off with two Solange records because a seat at the table is my ultimate album of all times mm. in, in terms of an album that has really spoken to me, for me, encapsulates everything I'm feeling. And the two records that I picked were Weary and Mad, and they sort of conveyed two very different um, mm-hmm. emotions. And then there was activists like um, Jamila Woods from Chicago. She uses music to tell history. Mm-hmm. Then you've got someone like Poppy Judah, uh, who's from the UK and, and again part of the jazz scene. But she 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 would use music to to talk. She talk, talks about feminism. She talks about refugees. But they're strong women that that are talking with so much passion that it, it moves you. Mm. I think that's what I felt. Like the music that every song that I played, um, but specifically the women that I mm. played, it was music that moved me. It was unapologetic. Um, no name, another rapper from mm. Chicago is unapologetic. It's called Black Exploitation, and she's literally spitting for her life. You know, I wanted that passion mm. to come across. You say you played music that moved you Mm. and uh, it shows the power of music to speak to the times. How was it for you to make that show at such, you know, a raw time after the murder of George Floyd? 
I mean, it's a, it's a privilege and it, it all, all in itself and one that must be used, you know, as a privilege and, and, and carefully. And I found that show really hard to make because mm. it's almost like I had to relive it three times. I had to pick the music, record it, listen back to it. And this is when we weren't coming into the studio. So I was doing this all, all from my living room and, you know, sort of going through all the... All the it's very personal because it's in your personal space. It's not even in a studio. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. You know, you're yeah. the most vulnerable that you'll you'll be in. And also dealing with the, it myself as a black woman. But the sh- making the show was, was very cathartic and offering the show into the world was a cathartic process. And I think it was some of the most honest and raw radio that I've, I've ever made. I'm going to move on to track two from our playlist jams. And in 2018, you did a Black Power special on BBC Radio 1 Extra with Nana Cherry, yeah. who recorded and co-wrote our second feature track. We're going to hear a little bit of Woman by Nana Cherry from 1996. There's so much to talk about because this song, it, you know, it, it's such an amazing song. But also, I need to talk about the fact that, you know, you were just casually on BBC Radio 1 Extra with Nina Cherry. I know, it was pretty crazy. My mum was so gassed about that. <laughs> I know, they can yeah. still do things that impress the parents. Oh, yeah, definitely. That and, and, and they're the moments. I'd obviously heard of Nina Cherry, but speaking to her and being able to make this radio show with her, we actually made it whilst I was in Amsterdam and she was in the UK and it sat across one extra and six music yeah. as well. It was, it was, yeah, it was a really nice show. Uh, tell me about Woman, the track. Again, this is something that I, I would have come across sort of retrospectively later. I would have been six when it when it originally mm-hmm. came out. But I think all of Nina Cherry's sort of music is kind of very sort of female focused mm-hmm. in terms of putting mm-hmm. women at the forefront um sort of smashing through stereotypes i love the kind of soul riff the sample of james brown because it's like you feel like you know it but it is a kind of deliberate play on mm-hmm. on what he's saying is kind of mm-hmm. bring, bringing it back to the to the source i love the video as well it's so like 90s when you watch it something about it that like the grade is 90s like 90s music videos as well like that that was the height of music yes, videos yes but the grades like love actually it's really weird yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's got that sort of colouring yeah. to it. But you know, I think even thinking about putting out some of the sort of the lyrics, and I'm sure you you know, to save my child I'd rather go hungry, that that's something that really sort of stuck out to me when listening to it again in this sort of phase in life where I'm at which is like yeah. going into motherhood. It's like um it, it sort of talks through all the different stages of being a woman in this world. You know, women come up against lots of different things and, you know, you're about to go through a, a huge change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned there Annie Mack back in the day. I remember, like, I'm a huge fan of Annie Mack, love her. And, like, you know, she's she was there, like, raving, DJing, being in the clubs and Ibiza. Also a mother. Mm-hmm. I had two kids. And that balance of seeing, I remember seeing her pregnant DJing on stage and things like that. And it, it is an obstacle for a lot of women that as soon as they become pregnant that they kind of can't carry on. How do you feel in preparation for that stage in your life? Or does it does it stop you from what you want to do? Do you think this is going to kind of push you? For, for me, being a mother actually made me more ambitious, if I'm honest. Do you know what? It's interesting that you say that because... That is kind of how I feel, but then there is this slight feeling of guilt. Like, yeah. should it be? Oh, the mom guilt. Yeah, it started. It started, like, starts before yeah. they even come. Should I be feeling more ambitious, more exciting? Mm. Should I be taking all these things on? Mm. But I, I know it's what I want to do, and I know it's what what is right for me. But there yeah. is that little thing in the back of my head, like you know, like I know that becoming a mother is going to make me more streamlined, make me work more efficiently, make me not waste as much time doing yeah. you know doing things or doing things that I love. And I've already got all these ideas. You know, I've been winding down this week because we're due tomorrow, but I don't think. It's coming tomorrow. I but. love this. I love this. Like do, doing an interview the day before you're yeah. due having a baby. Um, but it's, it's work cool. hard. Yeah, it's like working yeah. from home and it's nice and I'm yeah. winding down. I'm sitting on the yeah. birthing ball and I'm doing some therapy and then I do some emails. Yeah. But yeah, now it's like I've suddenly got all these ideas again. I'm suddenly like mm. really inspired. But yeah, there is a part of me that I, I feel like I couldn't. I'm glad that you said it because I felt like I couldn't talk about it openly. Because yeah. the, everything in life tells you that when you become a mother that you 
can't hide away. Can't do yeah. Can't do what you did, and you have yeah. to fight it. And I d- I've been DJing up until last week. Yeah, um, and I've loved it. Jams, you interview a lot of artists, men and women. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see a difference in how they have to behave in front of the media? Maybe not so much in the world in which I, you know, the music world that I'm in. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of parallels between men and women in that they sort of sort of bear their soul very much at the forefront, and both mm-hmm. and all and both genders do that. And mm-hmm. there's activism in, in both genders. What I do notice the difference is, is maybe like maybe behind the the scenes a little bit more. Okay, in that how so? Some of the, you know, I, I probably get a lot less emails from women pitching me their music. Why do you think that? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know whether it's like a sort of learnt behaviour that women are a little bit more hesitant, want to wait until they're at this stage to, to, to send That's music, whereas a, a, a male might be more full fright and even if they're not quite ready yet they don't really think of it like that and I guess with women you know in in the music that we play and not just sort of on the sort of artist radio side of things but in the DJ world as well like I guess for women we have to do so much more the press Mm. shoots the designer stuff Mm -hmm. talking about beauty as well letting people into our lives you know sharing Mm -hmm. our relationships you know there's more interest you think there's a more interest in a visual side and a personal side yes yeah my partner doesn't you know he makes music he's never had to he does he does a photo shoot about every four years i do a photo shoot every six months you know for new Mm -hmm. press shots it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder, though, you know, on one hand, it's, you know, I guess there's more costs for the women and there's more attention, there's more interest. I, but I do wonder, do men sometimes want they would they like a little bit more attention? Possibly. And because, you yeah. know, on the other on the other hand, we do make money in different ways. Yeah. There is yeah, the beauty industry is very exactly, lucrative for women. Exactly. We might not, you know, we, there might be, uh, unfortunately, still maybe a discrepancy in what we get paid as DJs, but mm-hmm. we might be able to get that, that brand deal, that Gucci, whatever, you know. Yeah. You just got to work harder for it. Yes. And and to then still be taken seriously in the club is a fine line. What's the best, Jams, what is the best bit of advice that you've been given about working in the music industry as a woman? Do you know what it is? I think it's more, maybe not like um, sort of, I guess, direct advice. Mm-hmm. I think it's more through just what, watching people, mm-hmm. just watching people being really bold and not taking on what other people think of them. I think has been been really mm-hmm. important because all all of the women that I know that you know that have come before me that are doing you know big incredible incredible things, there's always some mm-hmm. some sort of like low level naysaying. They're this, they're that, they're mm. ball busters, you know that sort of thing, or they're they're hard work, you know. I love that you're a cheerleader for so many musicians, so many women. Mm. How important is it for women in this industry to help each other? Definitely when I was coming through as a DJ, I wanted to be the DJ, yeah. you know. Yeah. And especially it gets narrower. That 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 thing gets narrower when when you're of colour as well. So there could only be one black woman mm-hmm, DJ mm-hmm. in this space. And it's like, actually, it's a very lonely place to be. Mm. It's no fun. Mm-hmm. There's no one to to be around you, to support you, to, ba- to bounce around off. Mm-hmm. And that's not progressive. Mm-hmm. To be let through, it's like once you start to unlearn it and you realise that actually the patriarchy might have let you through, mm. but it's kind of like, it, it, it's almost like playing a game. It's like a sort of cat and mouse game, letting you through, but not letting others through. And it's, and it's like to make you feel like you're the chosen one, mm-hmm. but you should be able, you should, you should take all this shit at the same time because there's no one else to, to back you up. So I think when you kind of like unlearn that, that it's not healthy and it's not right and it's not progressive and it's not actually positive, I don't want to be the first black female anything. So it's ludicrous if that's the case. Mm. But being able to reach back and bring through mm-hmm. people, there is so much strength in numbers. And we have really seen that over the last 10 years in mm-hmm. terms of collectives across all the creative industries. Mm-hmm. You know, the strength in numbers of providing infrastructure for each other, exchanging skills, shouting about one another. It makes it mm. undeniable. It makes it a force. It makes it unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So I think actually, why, why why wouldn't we help each other? Because in helping each other and, and being able to sh- have a safe space to talk about our experiences, we stop allowing things to happen. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen it with the Me Too mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. You know, what was achieved with women talking to each other, sharing with each other, working alongside each other. We've changed the attitudes and the, the thinking around mm-hmm. so many behaviours that we wouldn't have thought about before. So Jams, looking at our Hear Her Voice activism playlist, Mm. are there any other songs on that list that stand out for you? 
Yeah, I think MIA Borders is a brilliant track and she's a brilliant artist. And I actually think that as a as an artist, what she has gone through when she came out, you know, she was one of one as a visible mm-hmm. brown woman in the alternative mm-hmm. music space. And what she, I think, sort of went through in, in terms of, you know, there was so much positive press, but negative press is like anything she tried to do, which was within activism, was always kind of up against mm. scrutiny. Is she being genuine? Is she this? You know, and things like that. But, you know, the music does the talking and I think that's a brilliant record. Mm. And when I sort of think about my feminism mm-hmm. now... It's not just about being a an ally for mm-hmm. for black women. It's being an ally for mm-hmm. for brown women. It's looking at the way that you know East Asian women are treated and the representation and trying to basically mm-hmm. kind of in in what I do represent everything. And I think that's what she did really well. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. My next guest, Yola, is a Bristolian who has recently been adopted by the United States, where she's been playing the role of Sister Rosetta Tharp in Baz Luhrmann's biopic of Elvis Presley. Rosetta was a pioneer of rock and roll and guitar techniques. She not only inspired Elvis, but Bob Dylan, the Beatles and the Stones were also taken with her art and artistry. Yola is a musician, singer, songwriter who has already received four nominations at the 62nd Grammy Awards, including the all-genre Best New Artist category. In her early days, she worked as a front woman for hire and featured vocalists for DJing producers such as Bugs in the Attic, Duke Dumont, Massive Attack and Sub Focus. Then in 2016, she had a breakthrough with her first solo EP, Orphan Offering. That was followed up in 2019 by her highly acclaimed debut album, Walk Through Fire, released on Easy Eye Sound, the label owned by Black Keys guitarist Dan Auerbach. Then in 2021, Yola released her latest album, Stand For Myself. She says everything about the album, musically, lyrically, spiritually explores the epiphany that making decisive choices leads to freedom. Take it from me, it's a gorgeous record. Yola, how are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. I feel that fortune is smiling on me. It's a lovely way to be. Thank you for joining me. Hey, um, nice and me. I think this episode is very special because we're talking about music as a voice for change. Yes. And I just want to kind of take you back to, to growing up. And yes. do you remember the first time you heard a song or you heard a voice that made you feel something and made you realize the power that music has? Oh, yeah, I think I do. And I think I might have heard uh, Mavis Staples singing as like a young girl. Mm. She must have been in her teens. Mm. And when her voice to kind of, I suppose it developed really early, Mm. but she kind of had all the gravel and all the kind of just everything, all that character from her teens. Mm -hmm. So it was like no one knew where this voice was coming. I mean, is that that little itty bitty girl? Yeah, Mm. that's who it is, Mm. you know? Like you'd hear this, you'd read the stories of her, you know, marching with Martin Luther King and with a family band, staple singers. It was like her brother and her sister and her dad. Mm. And yeah, they were like the mouthpiece for civil rights and spreading this message just across the world. And it was really inspirational to think that a teenage girl, mm-hmm. now when you think of teenage girl, you don't really think of, that you part. maybe nowadays you yeah, do, but when actually, I was growing yeah. up, you did not. Mm. Nowadays, you definitely do. Like the kids are about it. Mm. But like, <laughs> you know, when we were kids, not so much so, mm. you know? So that was like, I was like, wow. So. Like it's about how commentating. You? How, how are you, when were you when you first? I was in my teens. Think? I was yeah. in my early teens when I heard about um, the Staple Singers. My mum had a record, mm-hmm. and she loved music, and she collected records, and that's what I gravitated yeah. towards. And I had all of this wonderful music at home that I could play. I couldn't necessarily afford to buy new records. None of us, once we were born. Kids are expensive, Mm. we all know that. And without those, I just, I wouldn't have anything. And so, yeah, that was a really kind of, Mm. like, important realisation. I don't think I realised what I was listening to, but I kind of got an idea of, like, what it was. And then Mm. when I got later into my teens, some friends were playing, and I was like, this is familiar. Mm. And and then the, the story and, like, her whole trajectory kind of was just a massive inspiration. You were talking about this this young Mavis reaching globally and yeah. reaching you, this young girl in Bristol. Yeah. What was it like growing up? And at what stage did you know that... Because music sometimes starts out as a hobby. 
as yeah. a love, as a passion. Yeah. And then it's very few people get to do it as a career, as a job. And you are one of those people. But at what stage did you say this is the path for me? Or was okay, it never an deal. option? It was age four. Wow. So um, I thought I only had a year because mm. I remember watching um, footage of the Jackson 5 mm. and Michael was five. And I was like, oh, I've only got a year to start. Does everyone start? <laughs> and I started. That is a lot of pressure for it was a four year old. It was a lot of pressure. And I was kind of panicking. And I was like, oh, God, right, okay. So I was just like doing my scrolls. Like, just like making sure that I was ready. I've got one year. I better be ready. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd be singing all sorts of things, just trying to get my chops up. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an emergency. And uh, um, I told my mum, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what you're going to do. We're not rich. You don't get to do these things. Anyone that's had strict black and or brown parenting Mm -hmm. will know that there are only a couple acceptable jobs if you're black and brown and you have strict parents. Mm -hmm. That's doctor or lawyer. And if you're lucky, an African engineer. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) Um, so, like, those were the rules. Like, you didn't, didn't do those things, you were a disgrace. Mm. And so like, I had to hide what I was doing as well as try and pursue it. I want to talk about that graft. And for you, and before you were the front woman, you know, you were a voice for hire and you were kind of doing yes. it. Talk to me about that before you kind of, I guess you were just, you wanted to make money. You got you to yep. do what you got to do to get it out there. What was your mindset? Was there a path? Was there a career plan? I wanted to be in spaces where I was like, I knew I was going to be able to like just start getting my name out there. But I didn't want to do it at the expense of my broader vision, which was like to be an artist in my own right. And so often I wouldn't put my names to my name to things. Um, and I purposefully not do that because I didn't want my story to be told for me. Mm. I didn't want someone else's trajectory, someone else's narrative to be the thing that charts what I can and can't do. And so a lot of the time I wouldn't put my name to things and I'd just go, they go, oh, well, you know, we're not, we weren't thinking of paying you, but you'll get loads of exposure. And I'd be like, I don't want exposure. I money. just want money. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, this is really confusing. I'm like, give me more money. Mm-hmm. That's all. Li- or, or just, give, just me what I, give me what I deserve. Yeah. Or in, my fact, worth. My worth. Or in fact, just don't use the vocal. Get someone else to do it. Yeah. Good luck finding someone else that sings like me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting. So talk to me about, you know, you'd been in the music industry for a long time before it came to 2016 when you had that solo album, that first solo album, when you first stepped stepped out there. You've already been in the industry for so long. Yeah. But to step forward as not a voice for hire and not yes. kind of all this graft, to be at a stage where you can say, I can now do it. How did that feel? And talk to me about that period in your life for you because that was you were talking about music for change for other people but music for change that was a change for you so 2013 my mother passed it wasn't easy Um, we didn't have a great relationship by any stretch of the imagination I was estranged and she was displayed all of the tenements of a clinical psychopath and for most of my life I'd been trying to keep this within the rails you know just trying to be there you know in the unconditional way that daughters do Mm. and it was destroying my entire life Mm. And it was it was also programming me to accept less from frankly everybody else. Mm. You know, it was it was a really tough situation. She passed and it just yes. dawned on me that this whole situation of life isn't a dress rehearsal. So mm. I'm just going to stop dragging my feet and being terrified that no one's going to want to hear me. Like all I've said and all I've been told and all I've seen is mm. the abuse and ignoring of women of color. And so I was mm. not like I was, it was unfounded, but like I just had to get the heck over it and at least give it a good college try. And so mm. I did. And it took a long time to get to the point where I found people mm. who just saw me at all. And when mm. I did, I started, mm. I had songs sort of jumping out of my head, one of which is on this current record, Stand For Myself. Oh, yes. So tell us about Stand For Myself and how that came about. 
I um, was riding my motorcycle home from my mother's funeral and a bass line came into my head, which was fortunate because I was crying and riding a motorcycle. The bass line was wonderfully distracting and it was kind of groovy. A bit too much of a party bass line, I'd say, for driving home from your mother's funeral. It was like... I'm like, this is kind of party bass line. Is this incongruous? Is this this kind of distasteful? Maybe it's kind of distasteful. Anyway, it's going to stop me from crashing. So here I go. Mm. Still driving down A369 in Bristol or Portishead on the way back to Bristol. Mm. And uh, Mm. then I get home and I'm like, I feel like some lyrics are kind of coming down. So I just take my phone out. Mm. I wait and lo and behold, like the first verse lands. I realise it's like a party funeral song. And it's and I'm like, oh, this is actually going to be quite cathartic. And so I started auditioning players endlessly, trying to find people that I thought, thought had the skills to be able to play this song. But I had it in my... I like recorded everything just in voice notes on my phone and then mm-hmm. just waited until I had the people to be able to play it. And we played it out for a few years, like from probably about 2015. But I didn't really ever feel like I was mm-hmm. ready to record it because I wanted to be in a space where I thought I could do it justice yeah. and also that the people that I was recording with knew anything about me. And so I wouldn't give them my mother's funeral march and then them do a dreadful job of it and then me feel like this is just another abuse. And so I had to wait until this record because I hadn't met Dan for the first record, Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys Mm -hmm. fame. Yeah, I hadn't met him. And so I was like, I can't give you this this song. It means too much. And not until I know you. And so it feels like this second record is more personal because I was able to like just dig into things, maybe at least knowing the environment a bit more and being able to choose my co-writers, which were three quarters women that I chose. That was something that was pas- like I was passionate about. So yeah. I yeah, I did it. And I'm like, I ain't stopping either. It's good. It's- <laughs> Can I ask you about your track Starlight, also from your latest album? I mean, what's the inspiration and idea behind it? There's an interesting narrative to Starlight because it's sex positive. But from my frame and standpoint, (laughs) because, like, you know, we see a lot of, like, you know, the twerk level, sexy black lady. Mm. And I suppose if we really kind of go back, we can get that kind of churchy, very chaste black lady. But I'm not just regular black lady Mm. who isn't twerking or, Mm. like, you know, chaste. How about just, like, standard level in these streets, on the apps, living life, right? Like, how about that? How about just normal lady? And so I was like, how about we have like a video that tells a story, a song that is from that framework. And it's just about being able to have nice things all the way up until you find, and up and including, I should hope, to finding the one, if that's what you believe in. Like, you know, that should be... That should be something that all women expect. Just because they're not the one, they don't get to be a douchebag, FYI. You don't get to sub-deliver in the old bedroom situation. Like, you still have the right to ask for the things that you would like. I mean, your music, your songs, they have a message behind them, don't they? My songs feel like that because that's just how my brain works. It's bloody inevitable. Yeah. And also there's something inherent in being a black woman, in speaking on your life experience. And then by doing that, it ends up being about something. There's something a black, black womanhood full stop about the club 
and that we're kind of all about it and we're going to speak about stuff that's important that we think is important for people to hear mostly because we didn't hear it as kids mm. and we want the kids mm. to have something that's going to be helpful in a way that we didn't whether we're parents or not it's like there's you this ubiquitous mm. sense of responsibility that seems to be very popular and very prevalent in black lady culture um also because you're a black lady you're inevitably going to talk about something like sex positivity from your framework because it's not represented but it's just because of who you are the second you start talking about yourself it becomes political there's like it's unavoidable and so you end up kind of backwards walking into this political narrative because everything that you do is politicized some of it like diamond studded shoes is definitely political but like not all of them are they're just about being loved they're about connecting and wanting to connect you've got songs like now you're here you've got songs like great divide and if i had to do it all again all of which that are about connecting yearning to connect and so it's really important that the balance of that is is felt in this record because it was put in there for that reason that it's as important that we connect as humans as it is that we stand up for the things that are good for more than just ourselves. I've realised that, like, me stepping out and actually, you know, for want of a better expression, standing for myself. Mm. <laughs> um, I think when you stand for yourself, though, you're standing for others. This you know? is the point. If you don't do it for 100%. yourself, how can you expect you know, change in the whole world? I, yeah. I think that for myself for different things. Yeah, I think you, you have, have to, to start with yourself. Yeah. You yeah. just have to. There's no other way about it. No one else will do it for you. No, literally <laughs> no one. Because most people, they weren't programmed to believe in dark-skinned women. And that was something that was ubiquitous. You're not profoundly in the British narrative. Mm. And that just kind of that was something that would play into, like, just your awareness of, like, your sense of belonging. It was like, wow, this is serious. I need to do this to show that it's mm. possible. I need to show that it's for a plus-size, curvy, dark-skinned girl, you know, first-generation Bajan, Ghanaian mm. girl, I need to represent for real. And I need to be extremely strategic with how I do things. So do you think you've always been strategic in your approach to making music? Like when you released your first solo EP, for example, back in 2016? So that EP, I made sure that I mixed it and that I mastered it and that I was the songwriter on all of them. Mm. So every time they looked for the nearest white guy who was responsible for all of this stuff, I could go, they'd look at, I'd go, look at the credits and they'd go... Oh no, I, don't, I can't find anyone to actually attribute any of this that I, things that I like about it to. And so who's producing me? Who's mixing me? Who's in mastering? Well, technically Optimum, but me. And like, uh, uh, I was there. I was mm. in. I'm there at every single stage. You can't escape me. And so then they had to talk to about me to me. That was the beginning. Like it was. Frustrating like though. Do you not people. find like sometimes you're banging your head against a wall? What gets you? What? kept spurring you on through you, know, you, you get to a stage you've got these years of experience and you still feel you're being asked these same questions you still feel like even an executive said no one wants to hear a black woman sing rock and roll and I'm like well he this person can't know a lot about rock and roll. You know, I'm playing Sister Rosetta Tharp in a movie yeah. and I'm literally creating rock and roll before your eyes because that's what she did. People don't understand though, like, yeah, and I want to talk about this because it's just a huge role. It's, but it's huge. I, I talked to Skin from Skunk and Nancy. Yes. Uh, who is I love Skin. Incredible. And she was like, she people were like, what? I don't understand. Like when she got up on stage and performed, and she's rock and roll. She really is. She's just rock and roll. All but of it. people couldn't understand that this was coming from this black woman and not a white man. Yeah. She she's huge. I mean, I think it's very hard to see yourself in a space if you haven't seen someone before. And skin helped me. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. I listened to a whole lot of skunk and Nancy. Mm. My one of my first covers was weak. Really? For real. <gasps> In my tune. school band. What a tune. I know, right? Yeah. Like, I was so ready. I was so here for it. They're like, should we do week? I'm like, yes, yes. we should do week. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. not feeling it, man. Week um, as I am. I have, yeah. to talk, I have to talk about the, the new Elvis film. Um, yes. Uh, and getting, getting that role. 
Yeah. And what that means, not just both as, as an actor, but as a musician, mm-hmm. as a woman. Yes. Uh, talking about, talk to me about getting that part of Rosetta Tharp, who is the godmother of rock and roll. Yeah. And I think the narrative is like, people are really shy to say it. Um, and like, like, people, like you were saying, people were surprised that Skin was doing what she was doing as a mm-hmm. black woman and not a white man. It's because the story of rock and roll has been utterly colonised. It's like a black woman invented rock and roll, but mentally you think of white girls. You, literally the opposite in, in, in demographic, you know. And a queer black woman at that. And so when this part becomes open for audition, I get a call from a certain producer. He was like, I, I really think you should audition for this. I reckon you might even get it. Just send, send in something. I reckon they're going to love you. And so I send in a recording and they're like, you can really throw your voice. It transpires mm. that the job that I'd been doing in the interim, which was working for a replay production company. And I was part of this production company for about 15 years. And uh, we were replaying samples recording them and I had to be able to throw my voice it's not the most comfortable thing to do with your voice FYI because it's not naturally what you do you have to kind of throw it a bit and so you have to kind of change the shape of it which can be a little irritating but you learn how to do it without completely destroying your voice so I had to learn how to do that to replay Motown samples so hip hop dance music producer or whoever can use it without losing the mechanical royalty to them and then not recouping their record and so, like, I had a lot of ex, like, experience in mm. vocal acting, so it transpired. And it transpires that it became directly useful, not just in the auditioning process, but then when we went mm. into the studio to track the soundtrack, because we actually did the soundtrack first. That's how Baz loves to work, a.k.a. it's directed by Baz, Baz Luhrmann. Luhrmann. yeah, Baz. Just, 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 my mate just, Baz. My mate Baz. I feel going, I know, I've got to drop him an email. Um, um, so um, it transpired that, like, the work that I was doing was also... Like you kind of You're had kind to of born act. to play this role. It like feels like so many things have happened in your life. Yeah, it was like one feeling connected to rock and roll as a kid, but also it's the vocal acting. Like you kind of have to act it out to get the sound right. And so when I was in the booth, Baz was nose pressed up against the, the booth glass, like, okay, we're going to do this now. And he was directing. And I was mm. like, this just reminds me of the sessions I used to do. Mm. And so I just followed the direction. Mm. And you could see the cogs going already, mm. like... Mm-hmm she's going to be able to do this. She's got this. Yeah. And so then I get offered the role and just everything feels like it's changing. I'm now having to learn to shred because Sister Rosetta Tharp was the first person to distort the guitar, the first to shred the distorted guitar in the way that we now identify as a rock sound, Mm -hmm. you know. Everything was clean before that and melodic and lyrical, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And she plays in a lyrical way, but there's definitely leaning onto that shred. Mm-hmm. She's definitely pulling all these shapes. And, and I'd never done anything like that before. Yeah. I'm a rhythm player. Yeah. So the things that I had that were easy, which were kind of like what I didn't know was acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> I then had to kind of pick up the shredding. But, but I had obviously a lot of time around music. And so... I was surprised to find that it actually came to me. You kind of look at, you know, how difficult you found it was when you were first starting out and you kind of think of Rosetta and what, can you imagine what she dealt with, which you you couldn't even comprehend. You can't comprehend what she had to endure to to get to How good she had to be to get noticed. That's it. How Um, good you have to be the best if you're going to get noticed as a woman, as a black woman. A hundred percent. You can't imagine what she had to endure. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, there was no way. They were like, we've given you an option for a hand double. I'm like, no. She had to go through all of that. The least I can do is do my bit to represent her properly Mm -hmm. and just be fully cognizant of how important it is that I portray her with the grace that she deserves. And so, yeah, I did the work. When you see me landing those solos, I'd never done any of that. I had to also hit my marks. So you've got to have an eye on the floor. I've got to keep an eye on Baz. I've got to um, interact with the other actors, of course. Oh, yeah, and I've got to become her. So I've got to actually act. Like to give yourself a challenge. Yeah, Yeah. and I've got to do that while singing and then shredding in a rhythm counter to my vocal, which anyone that plays a guitar or any instrument for that matter will know when you're not in time with your fingers, it's extremely hard. And so add 
the other three, four things to that, and it becomes something that you have no idea how you're going to do. We forget as well, because um, I want to ask you about women in music, it's not just the women that we see, the women behind the scenes well, as well. Well, this is it, you know? That sense of understanding what you're having to navigate. Um, and my manager's a woman, mm-hmm. and she understood what I was having to navigate and understands the kind of pressure that you're under. And so it becomes a really important thing mm-hmm. to have like diverse a group of people that you work with and that was something that I've always had to fight for. I want to talk about some brilliant women. We've talked about some brilliant women already. And yes. for you, I ask everyone this, which is really tough. It's Hail the Queen. Who is the greatest oh, female musician of all time for you? He's beaming at me with this angelic <laughs> grin, asking the cruelest of questions. It's like asking someone like, who is your favourite child? Yes, <laughs> it is. Choose a child. You've only got one. How many of you got? Six. Good luck. Mm. So Aretha is the queen and it wasn't just that she was the queen of soul but she could slay jazz she could really rock out and like there was just so Mm. much to her and she was so musically brilliant absolutely cracking piano player cracking songwriter and like often like a lot of (laughs) my close close friends will be like we don't trust anyone that doesn't like daydreaming like (laughs) it's such a banging song it's it's just perfect yeah it's very hard to see past Aretha so you've held up Aretha Franklin, but I also wanted to ask you about Dolly Parton because I know you sang with Dolly at the Newport Folk Festival mm. 2019. That must have been incredible. Dolly is a legit queen. There's no denying it. Like imagine the time that she was coming up and being mm. an itty bitty white lady mm. in Sexist Central. Come yeah. on. And she's going, no, take me seriously. I'm the writer. I'm mm. the artist. Like imagine coming with that level of self-belief she came from working class background she didn't come from nothing and she built it all out I can only I can only be in awe and then obviously I get to sing on stage for that in 2019 and that kind of threw me for a loop to be honest I was a complete mess she turned around and she just went we're hugging everybody and I'm like ah! I'm hugging Dolly not how I saw today going I hold the Arethas, the Dollies in these very, very high echelons because they keep Mm. putting their money where their mouth is. They keep representing a sense of autonomy and of complete empathy in their artistry as well as the way that they go Mm. about what they do. And so, yeah, we have to hold them aloft when they Mm. really, when they really do it. And they do it on all of the levels. You're just like, wow. It has been so great chatting to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Hear Her Voice. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode. Remember, you can hear all the songs that were featured today on the Hear Her Voice activism playlist on Spotify. You can find a link on the episode show notes. And if you like what you've heard and you want to hear more, why not? Uh, please do like and subscribe to the Hear Her Voice podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode. Next time on Hear Her Voice, I'll be talking about breaking the mould with my very special guests, Amy LeMay and Lauren Maybury. Thanks for listening. Take care.